Welcome back to another Impact tonight. The Impact Education Leadership is episode 153. I'm your host, IDC Plaza, Drum Third. Tonight's panels are Dana, Justice French, Randy Blake, and Buddy Thor, the Plus Coach, KJ the Pro. Buddy Thor, please say hello again to the people. Good evening, everybody, and wow, tonight's panel is fantastic. And the one and only Randy Blake. Please say hello to the people, sir. Hey, guys. It's good to be on. Uh, look forward to a great show. And Dana Frank, please say hello to the people. Hey, y'all. I am so excited to bring this great, eclectic group of people together and see what we have to say. Follow us. I see, it's going to be a monstrosity tonight. Listen, we're going to do something different. We're going to change the pace a little bit. I got to keep you guys on your toes, keep you guessing. So we're going to do introductions first. I want to start with Randy Blake. Please tell us a little bit about what you got going on currently, sir. What you got? Who are you? What you been up to? What do you do? What's your forte? Talk about it. Uh, my name is Randy Blake. Uh, most know me as Boom Boom. Um, I'm a five-time kickboxing world heavyweight champion through ISKA. Uh, I am a two-time martial arts Hall of Famer. I'm a life coach. Uh, I am a recently number one bestseller through Amazon author. And most importantly, I am a girl dad. So that is my joy and pride. And what I do now is I am giving back all the knowledge I possibly can to the world. Mm-hmm. Simply beautiful. And Buddy Thornton, Puzzle Changes Pro, tell us a little bit about you, sir. Well, it's really hard to follow Randy, uh, but uh, I'll give it my best shot. Uh, I've uh, published four books this year, this calendar year. I'm working on books five and six to publish before the end of the year, all of them geared toward social issues since I brand as the positive social change agent pro. And I just, beyond that, I admire people like Randy and people who put it out there because they love the kids and because they love people. And last but certainly not least, Dana Dr. Trinks, Welcome, welcome, welcome. You belong here. Tell us now a little bit about yourself and what you got going on currently, please. All right. Well, thanks for having me, and thank you for taking the time to learn how to pronounce my name. Um, I'm Dana Gastic French. I am an educator who spent over two decades um, both in South America and the U.S. working as an English teacher, a professional instructional coach, and then a district-level leader. Uh, recently, I have started um, an education consulting firm, Upriver Education, which really looks at um inclusive practices for multilingual learners and hoping to leverage the assets of our diversifying nation here and really see that as a positive as we um, continue to diversify and, you know, build up the youth culture. Ooh, it's going to be dynamite tonight. We're going to be talking about things like making classrooms safe, a place that's safe even to fail and building confidence and using real life examples of perseverance. We're gonna be talking about the rewards of having positive attitudes, not just aptitude. 
we're going to be talking about identifying obstacles and navigating around negative beliefs and belief systems. So the topic for tonight is powerlessness and anxiety to isolation. I've noticed that many guest panelists on this podcast have either experienced someone close to them being bullied or been a victim of bullying themselves. They had usually faced these dark episodes when no one else was looking. No one else could see it. No one else was around to lend a helping hand. Furthermore, in many causes and cases, someone gets seriously hurt and even hospitalized. Well, one of the central questions after the fact is that there are no adults around when we need them the most, right? Or this happened because of the lack of safety procedures and protocols for school leaders to help combat bullying and give coping skills and support systems to bullied students. Bullying is an aggressive behavior that negatively affects adolescents in so many, so many different ways. It affects them academically, it affects them socially, emotionally, and definitely psychologically. These all limit, I believe, their cognitive development success. Bullying is often a repeated, intentional, and harmful behavior of one or more students against a weaker student. The victims of bullies can typically go from powerlessness and anxiety to isolation and physical ailments. The consequences of bullying are so many, and there's a wide spectrum of difficulties and so much trauma that's involved. That's why we have the lineup that we have tonight on this podcast, because nevertheless, Knowing how family members may be affected can help reduce the overall impact of bullying, but nothing is better than experience and wisdom to help us navigate those experiences to a safe place, safe ground, where we can have a discussion like tonight. When I first gave you this topic for tonight, Powerlessness and anxiety to isolation, right? I know you probably thought about Erickson, <laughs> uh, his strategy, but what was the first thought that came to your mind when you got this topic? The first thing that came to my mind was going back to my childhood where I had two older brothers, so I rarely experienced bullying, except from them maybe. But I also remember and can draw from the experiences that I saw in a very, very small town where bullying was not only expected, but it was a rite of passage. And then I fast forward to today when I'm a parent coach and I work with parents whose children get bullied. And there's direct correlations that, believe it or not, are just two sides of the same coin. And it just amazes me that some people believe that bullying strengthens people 
And that's what came to mind to me and how we need to combat that. Rite of passage. Wow. That's deep. Dana, what was the first thought that entered your mind when I gave you the topic for tonight? So for me, it came back to this concept of power and that word powerlessness really stuck out to me because I think one of the first things we have to look at in terms of bullying is who has power in any given situation. And I think we can all relate to a time in our lives, whether childhood or throughout adulthood, quite frankly, when we were in a situation when we couldn't harness our own power. Well, maybe we weren't aware that we had power within ourselves. And a lot of times that comes from maybe your core needs a little more building up, right? And once we doubt that power, we give it away, right? That might come in terms of having a voice or not having a voice. And of course, in my work as the language professional, I think about the power of language and the language of power, but really the structural systems too that either um, afford power to some or take some away. And so, you know, I think sometimes we're bullied by our systems and sometimes it's individual. Who is going to be hot tonight? Let me say so real quick. Thanks, <laughs> You reminded me of the Declaration of Independence. No taxation without representation. Not having the power to represent ourselves and being taxed by being powerless. Oh my goodness, this is gonna be, I don't, I'm gonna be honest with you, listen to the audience, I don't know where this is gonna go tonight. It could go anywhere. Randy Blake, when I think to this topic for tonight, what was the first thoughts being in your mind, sir? Uh, it's, it's such a profound topic because, you know, it, it does bring back uh, things that have happened in my life. And then I look at how bullying is today. You know, I think that is a, a very interesting thing because even back when I was bullied, there was no Internet. There, was, there wasn't social media, you know, and platforms. And nowadays you have a little bit more uh, susceptible ideas of what, what bullying is, but to kind of tie that all up, thinking about it, bullying is desire through jealousy, right? It's, it's just, it's all jealousy, but it's also desire. So I look forward to kind of extracting some, some points and kind of hearing everyone's ideas on this whole topic. Oh, it's going to be good. You know, I mentioned in the introduction, coping skills because people that are combating bullying they are also having to balance coping mechanisms coping skills support systems that affect their psychological development also talked about anxiety which can lead to isolation with that being said Buddy Thornton Positive Change Agent Pro you've written about five books and a lot of your books are aligned to this topic for tonight um, it just happened that way <laughs> it wasn't planned I believe that educators should develop sustained and trusting relationships between adults and students to enforce that sustainability 
to keep that teacher retention, right? And so my question for you, because we want to walk with you tonight. We want we, we want to listen to you. We want to see it through your lens as you guide us, right? As to what does being picked on and bullied feel like to a child? That's my question, sir. Well, we have to address one of the biggest things about the school environment first, because you did mention that educators need to develop sustained trusting relationships. It's been stated several times, and I can never, uh, it's important not to repeat this over and over again, but if you want to reach a child's mind, you have to get into their heart, and then you can positively affect their soul. The only way you can ever get to a child is to get them to trust you, confide in you, and feel like you are part of their quality world. You are their safe space. And that's what educators need to do more than anything else because in this environment with the Internet and anonymity and what I like to call hyperbullying, they don't have a lot of places to go that they can call a safe space. So... When a child is picked on, they first say, where can I go to avoid this? Uh, neurologically, obviously, if they feel a, a large amount of fear from the bullying, it, they're going to completely stop thinking. They're going to sink down into their amygdala, and they're going to have their fear, the fight, flight, fright response. And until they can get back their feet, until they can get back out of that amygdala response, they're not going to know what to do. They're just going to be looking for the first safe space they can find. And thankfully, those teachers who understand that can see that. They see the, the deer in the headlights look, and they can go and they can respond. But that's only if they're there. Because there's always a backstory to bullying. There's always some reason for the bully to do what they're doing, but they can't operate in the light of day. They need... They need that hidden space. They need that anonymity. So that's what they look for. Uh, bullying is a power imbalance, plain and simple. You've got one child or you've got an adult with a child, and one person has a large amount of power and the other person doesn't. So you have asymmetric power matrix. You have a default position. It's always situational responses. The bully sees a potential victim and they go into overdrive. It can be overt, blunt, outward, or it can be covert. They can hide it, and it can just be very microaggressive bullying, and it can just really just get in there. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's not relational. Sometimes it's, you know, public or private. There's, the problem with bullying is there's no true framework for bullying. The bully sees a target. You know, it's certainly a situation where they know that they're going to be able to dominate someone, so they go after The only answer to that, obviously, is to create a position where that child who's being bullied, who's just, just completely out of control and has nowhere to go, you give them that safe space. Uh, I've talked about the third-party intervention. Children who are traditionally bullied need to have a stronger best friend. 
They need to find themselves an alpha best friend who's willing to stand up to the bully and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. You have to stop that. He's my friend or she's my friend. They need to be able to understand that they can never be alone in space. And that's a problem, especially when we're talking about exactly what you're saying, anxiety to isolation. Coming out of COVID, everybody's been isolated. So now you're taking someone who feels like they're going to be bullied and you attach two plus years, almost three years of isolation. Now they may have lost all concept of what a safe space looks like. And if they can't conceptualize a safe space, how are they going to find a safe space? So a child is a very vulnerable person, especially right at the beginning of their teens where they are starting to look for answers. They're trying to decide who they are. But if they're constantly looking over their back and they're constantly developing fear syndrome situations, they're not going to develop a a normal curve. So, yes, parents, teachers, they all need to understand that the number one thing they need to be aware of, especially in this environment, is making sure that there is safe space. Create that quality world. Give the child a quality world. Let them co-create it with you if possible and move them forward so that they can feel safe. But... What you said reminded me of a movie I saw. It was a war movie. It was a movie about this soldier. He was um, he was out. He was downrange, and he he stepped on a landmine, but it didn't kill him. He was injured, and his body was almost fragmented, and they had to put him back together piece by piece. And so he had to relearn how to use his, his bodily um, his bodily functions, his bodily extremities. He even had to learn how to talk again. He had to, he had to get a speech pathologist to teach him how to talk. Um, he had to have a physical therapist to teach him how to use those motor skills again. And as I was thinking about what you were saying, it, it led me back to Dana, God's strengths, because she said, you have to give your students a voice. And so giving your students a voice after they have been isolated for so long, after they have been traumatized with anxiety for a number of reasons. It could have been abuse in the home. It could have been just COVID-19, right? I want to open a panel. I want to open a panel and and the question I want to ask is, okay, we got to give our students a voice. How do we do it? Who wants to take that first? The panel is open. How do we give our students a voice? I'll happily take that one. Um, So I think if we look to the neuroscience, it tells us that, much, much to Buddy's point, the emotional state that our children are in directly impacts their ability to learn. And so oftentimes we can look at bad behavior as information. It, you know, there's there's no case where 
what is happening in the world isn't an opportunity. So if we see that bullying exists, then we know there's a layer to pull back here. And there's some kind of story. There's some kind of need to communicate. And so I think we really have to look at building those relationships in order to create safe spaces for voice. But I also believe that we have to look to our own roles as the adults in these spaces and our own behavior as modeling. Are we allowing space for their voices in earnest? Are we modeling sharing our own voice in a vulnerable way? so that they can see what that looks like to share in a way that's um, perhaps imperfect, right? Or are we modeling perfectionism? Um, Are we turning a blind eye to behaviors that are uh, inappropriate? Or are we participating in the othering in some way of students, which is essentially muting their voice, right? So as educators and adults in children's lives, are we leaning in to their differences as gifts? Are we leaning into all the all the, the learning process and having them really speak freely to that in a way that's going to have a positive response instead of contributing to that cycle of anxiety? You know, they're fearful of speaking up, as you mentioned. You know, even students that haven't had um, highly significant trauma, have had the trauma of COVID, have had the isolation of COVID. They don't, they're out of practice here. So there's anxiety that surrounds that and the option is either I'm going to be quiet and stay safe or I'm going to take a risk. So as adults, it's our job to shepherd them through that risk in a way that teaches them that we tear up muscles to build them. Okay. Well, don't, you know, Dana, you've obviously done your research, and I can tell you've been listening to these podcasts, haven't you? Taking, <laughs> taking notes. I said, look, I'm not surprised to least this. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, you're in New Hampshire. Tell us a little bit more about what you got going on. Uh, Ms. French, Mrs. French. Right now, I am working with um, another consultant to, to look at cultural and linguistic equity audits in schools. And so we come in, we really look against our framework at what kind of practices and policies can be implemented to do the real work. We're taking schools from perfunctory to performative and then beyond to really implement practice, right? So we don't want to just perform at these equity goals. We want schools to really feel traction. Um, so yeah, I work with districts. I am just north of Boston, so I have a lot of Boston area clients, but we go all over the country, you know, and by the power of virtual, we are um, um, able to be there either instantly or I or I fly out. So um, it's, been, it's been quite a ride. There are a lot of newcomer English learners coming into our schools these days. They are at a risk of being bullied. I think this topic is really, um, really important in my work right now because we have students from Afghanistan, students from Ukraine, uh, students from Guatemala coming in. Um, They're fleeing some challenging circumstances and, you know, they're adolescents and they're children at the same time that they're trying to start fresh in a really foreign place. And so, Really building up those empathic skills is at the core of our work. 
And we, we really thank God for people like you, Dana, because you are filling in the gaps. You are a gap filler. You're a gap filler. Um, let me, uh, ooh, I'm, I want to have some fun tonight. I'm sorry, guys. I got to have some fun. Because with the panel tonight, if I don't have fun, I'm going to be shooting myself in the foot, okay? So I, I want to go to Randy Blake, but before I do, Dana, a gossip French, wow, just impeccable information. Uh, thank you for adding so much value to this podcast and to education and to the world. Thank you. Absolutely. And so, Randy Blake, you know, as I was listening to Dana, <laughs> you're going to laugh when I say this. I, I was thinking about, I, I wasn't thinking about Holyfield. <laughs> I was thinking about Mike. I was thinking about Mike Tyson and the fight, the exhibition fight here with uh, Roy uh, Jones, right? My cousin is Roy's barber. <laughs> and so, uh, he told me about the fight. He's like, you got to make sure you watch the fight. And so I, I, I watched it, and then after the fight, man, Mike said something so funny. But, I mean, everybody loves Mike. You know what I mean? So, and he's probably going to hear this podcast, too. So, Mr. Tyson, I love you, man. I love you. But he said something that was so deep. He said, you know, what did you do when... Roy Jones hit you. He said, I, I hit him back. And, you know, a lot of people laugh, but to me, he was giving us a real-life example of perseverance. He was giving us a real-life example of perseverance. And, Randy, I thought about you because you've been a world champion multiple times. And you don't just wake up and fall out of the right side of the bed and become a world champion. It's tedious, man. It's, it's a lot of crying while people are not looking. It's a lot of trauma. I'm not going to get real deep into it, right? But I'm gonna say it, it takes it takes perseverance. I'm gonna leave it at that. Cause I mean I was in the army, and but I, I respect what you do above that because I, I could never do what you do. And I mean I was in the army for 14 years, but I could never do what you do. Uh, I, I have perseverance, but to be a world champion, how many times have you been world champion? Uh, five times. Five-time world champion. Okay. And last time I checked, it's almost 8 billion people on this planet. 8 billion Correct. people. And so, you talk about perseverance. I need to pull from you. I need you to be transparent. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it anyway, because that's who you are. <laughs> um, what self-defense strategies do you recommend for fighting against bullies? And before you answer that question, I, I, wanna, I want to kind of talk about what happened in Las Vegas. When, when I was in Las Vegas, before I even really met you, I met your your family because you, you let me know this is a package deal okay and so 
I know how you're going to respond. It's going to be, you know, your daughter's going to hear this. And from that perspective, what self-defense strategies do you recommend for fighting against bullies? That's my question for you. Okay. Okay, so before I answer that, when you get Mike Tyson and or Evander Holyfield on this podcast, pretty please let me be a part of it. Okay. <laughs> so um, how do you handle self-defense um, I guess it's self-defense strategies when fighting against a bully. So this is quite of a um, two-tone part. There's a lot of components. Uh, the best way that I can answer it, I can break it down into two components, and then I'll really extract uh, from those two components. So uh, first things first, I think that we can learn to make the kid, and, and even adult, because there's bullying in adults too. So uh, making the kid and the adult aware that they are the first responder. So I'll say that again, you're gonna make the kid and or the adult aware that they are the first responder. So I don't mean, you know, like the cops and the, the firefighters, although, you know, I appreciate their service and what they do, but this is a little bit different. Um, most people think that uh, self-defense is about hitting and, you know, using some type of physical attributes, some type of Jackie Chan moves, and that's all great, right? But that's like second and third hand. Uh, in this case, I'm talking about, about being proactive, right, because it's about preventing the problems before it happens. Um, so that's going to require you to have assertiveness to respond to the bully's attempt at intimidating you, right? Um I think one of the best ways to prevent bullying is teaching confident or having the use of confident body language, right? So I think that was one of the things from my childhood, looking back on it now, that I didn't have, right? I didn't have the self-esteem. I didn't have the confidence. And what I mean by that was I spent a lot of my childhood years looking down at the ground, Right? You gotta think about these kids today. They're walking around with their heads literally in their cell phone texting. Well, guess what? You are a prime target for that bully. Like, literally, right? So you're an easy target and you also come off as a parent weak. So, first strategies first, you know, you need to have make eye contact. Um, you need to have situational awareness. You need to know your whereabouts. Um, making eye con contact is simply making eye contact, right? Not the aggressive way. Um, having eye contact simply shows leadership and it shows what I just referred to in the beginning is confidence, smiling. Uh, that creates a sense of connection, but it also boosts self-esteem. These are things that I didn't have as a kid. Uh, with that being said, uh, that would also help ward off social or social isolation, right? Those all can play a role in um, the bully. And one of my favorites is you need to walk with the purpose. Uh, like I said in the beginning, the slouching, you know, not having, you know, eye contact, that's not good. So you need to walk with the purpose or with with the purpose. That is the most simplest technique out of all of them. It gives off a positive and assertive energy. 
Uh, you just simply walk with your shoulders high, eyes up, not looking at the ground. Uh, so I keep tying myself into these things and hopefully it helps people understand that, yeah, we, we, we've all kind of been there. For me, it was simply, I was put in a headlock literally every single day. I was spit on literally every single day. That was kind of some of the things that I went through. I didn't know what the, the uh, magnitude of it was back then, but I can tell you it's because I didn't have any self-esteem. I wasn't confident, so that's exactly why I was put in those, those headlocks. Um, component number two would be you got to use your voice. Your voice is the most powerful weapon that you have. It's not the spinning back kick. It's not the nunchucks from Ninja Turtles. It's your voice, right? Now, honestly, if your child ends up in a potential bullying situation, okay, use your voice. That will help diffuse the situation. Uh, the reason why I say that is because bullies envy you. They desire you. You know, they don't want the attention, right? They want to have their way with you, right? So, you, you know, I like to bring my 17-month-old daughter into this one, you know, and you guys have heard her scream in Vegas a week ago. Why was she screaming? She was trying to get daddy's attention. She didn't care about the crowd, but what happened? Everyone looked, right? She got everybody's attention, even though she was only trying to get daddy's attention. Well, your voice can do just that. Just as a 17-month-old girl or boy can scream to the top of their lungs, that's what we could be teaching these kids and even adults, too. Um, and when I say adults, um, that's another nugget that would type in or tap into, you know, women's self-defense. It also taps into stranger danger. You know, you got to use your voice. Um, and then I will say, last but not least, and this is kind of where I'll tie everything in together, what I just got from the saying. Um, I think to kind of tie on to what Buddy was saying, having a safe place, martial arts. Now, there's many safe places I think we could all strategize and come up with, but martial arts is one of them. Um, it teaches goal setting. It teaches confidence. It teaches self-control, right? Um, most of the time, when you're learning these martial arts, it teaches you how to respond to a situation in a calm manner. Um, and it, you know, and you learn that through martial arts. Uh, so to kind of tie in on that last bit of it was, yeah, I was spit on, I was put in headlocks, um, thrown to the ground, I was punched in the gut. And I just thought that that's just the way life was, right? Um, I actually got enrolled in martial arts soon after that and I'm not saying I was the greatest martial artist of all time back then, but the components of it was it started building the self-esteem, it started building the confidence. There's some things in me that started coming out that I didn't realize that I had. And the time in which you said, Isaiah, was perseverance, okay? Sometimes it takes somebody else to have perseverance for you right to where you can see it in yourself and so to end that was the next time that bully tried to put me in the headlock i fought back i responded i responded first and it wasn't that i beat him up it's just that i did something i punched i kicked i screamed i probably missed i swung a million miles an hour but from that point on 
really left me alone. So martial arts um, is a huge thing and you know it's it's opened up many doors for me and, and, and as I said I, I, I would say that that's a huge endeavor that you know we can learn to add to these kids and even adults too. You know, it was so much in what you said, and I, I saw you. I, I saw you as a, a young lad. And as I saw you as a young lad, I saw so many other millions of children. And, and, I, and I, heard, I heard their voice. I, I, Dana, I went back to you, I, I heard their voice. And you want to know what I heard them say? And I want to open up the panel with this because I need help drilling this in. I heard them say while they were getting bullied, why me? Why me? Why do I have to be the one that's being bullied? I want to open up the panel. What do you tell so the child? Have- what do you tell your child? What do you tell your child? <laughs> what do you tell your child if they ask the question, "Why me?" Go ahead, go ahead, David. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just had a moment while Randy was talking because the focus was on prevention, and so my firm is Upriver Education, and it was founded in the principle based on Desmond Tutu's quote, which says, "There comes a point when we need to stop just pulling people out of the river." We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And to me, we spend so much time expecting children and adults to become victims and then rescuing them. We wait at the bottom of the rapids. And what Randy's saying here is, no, 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 no. You you may get there. You may fall in. But we're going to do other things to prevent that from happening. You have power inside you. To not, you don't have to label yourself as one thing. As you're either the bully in our society, we love the binary, right? You're either the bully or the victim. You're either the A student or the failure, right? You're you're this or you're that. We love that, and once we label, we lose the possibility. And so, really, what I tell my child is that today. You get to be whoever you want to be, and tomorrow that can change. You have, the, you have the power to change. You're allowed to change your mind constantly, and nobody gets to define who you are, including yourself, because throughout your life, you're going to develop and change, and that is the expectation. And we really watch, watch our own language. Do I, do I, I have three children. And I have to be very careful because I think it's natural. You know, I was, I was the fiery one growing up and my brother was the responsible one, right? Which told me and sent me a message that perhaps I wasn't responsible. When in fact, I am. <laughs> and I'm fiery and that's okay, you know, but maybe tomorrow I don't feel like being fiery. But so if we tell our children who they are, what we're really doing implicitly is telling them that they are losing that power of choice and their own voice in who they are and who they become. And they don't have to just be pitted as the victim or as the bully. And that allows the bully as well that room to to change their mind, right? I think oftentimes 
children and adults who are in that role are just patterned into that, and they don't necessarily know how to see themselves any differently. Dana, will you come back to the podcast? <laughs> Love to. I want to Love. add something to what she just said. You know, uh, as our listeners know, obviously, I have four adult children. They're all in their 40s. I have 10 grandchildren. They're all between the ages of 22 and early 30s. And I have my 10th great-grandchild that's going to be born in September. So I've lived the Piaget experience. I've had the four generations, and since my dad is still with us, five generations to draw from. And every time I hear someone say, we love the binary, they're absolutely correct. But what they're doing is they're ignoring the bystander effect and the fact that the more the bystanders just bystand and do absolutely nothing, they implicitly support the bully. And society has gotten to the point where they just implicitly support the bully. They don't want to get involved. They're afraid to get involved. And what we have to do, and what I wrote in my books, uh, my parenting books, is we allow the children to co-create their existence. Because at the end of the day, we can't force them to make choices. We have to let them make choices. And it's a lot easier to let them co-create with a little bit of direction from you than it is for them to just go off and create it for themselves. Because the fact is, if we were to leave the dynamic completely alone, the children are going to find a way. They're going to create their own quality world, and we can either be in it or we can be outside of it. The one thing that I saw from Randy in Las Vegas was that he was making an active choice to be a pillar for his child and to be there because the alternative is unthinkable. You want to be there, but you also want to be there in a way that you allow them to draw you into their quality world. You can't force yourself in there. There's no amount of power in existence that can allow you to force yourself into your child's quality world. You have to live in existence and be a role model so that they want you there. So yes, the binary is a problem. And the bystanders tend to lean toward inaction, which supports the binary and supports the bully side of the equation. And Randy lives in an existence where proactive choices are being made to not do that. I became a mediator because I wanted to help people who were in conflict. But after a couple of years of finding that conflict is very difficult to overcome at times, I pivoted to life coaching and I pivoted to parent and teen coaching because it's a lot easier to proactively prevent conflict and teach life skills than it is to overcome ongoing, sustained conflict. And I think that's the biggest message about bullying. We can stop it before it starts if we just start at the right time in a child's life. Oh, this is getting so good. We're out of time? All right, um, listen, we're out of time, but before we go, let me ask, let me ask the question. Dana got the trench. What are educational leaders' suggestions about handling bullying? Like, what's the up-to-date 
suggestions that they're talking about now. Also, um, as a language professional, uh, professor or a professional, you're both, <laughs> what type of love language uh, can we role model or can we illustrate or display to both? All right, here it is. Because I didn't put the bystand on there, buddy, but I did put the bully and the victim. How can we role play love language to both the person that's being bullied and the person that's doing the bullying? That's my final question. All right, I'll keep it quick because I know we're running out of time. In terms of educational leaders, um, taking bullying seriously is really the best thing that they can do. Having a system in place to identify bullying, to look at all claims, take them seriously, identify one's own biases when receiving bullying claims and following through on that. Um, and really having connected systems of support. So oftentimes those bullying claims are gonna come in through a building level administrator, but that should be connected to a workflow that includes counselors, that includes parents, that includes teachers, so that we can wrap support around any students that are experiencing this and we can get to the bottom of it if it's already happening. And of course, as we talked about earlier, really my love language is prevention. <laughs> I have a hashtag, Think Up River, because I really do believe that we need to start thinking earlier in terms of what we can do to show students we care enough to put energy in early and often because it's harder, right? It's, it's, it's harder to do the work first. And we get so responsive as a culture, especially in our education system, that is, um, it's taxed, frankly, in a lot of ways right now. But the early, we're going to thank ourselves later because we're going to see better mental health outcomes. We're going to see better teacher retention rates, better behaviors, and of course, better academics, but really ultimately better citizens for this world um, that are going to go on to promote positivity if that's their own experience. Thank you for that. That was so that was so perfect. That was so perfect. Listen, what are the takeaways for tonight? Who wants to go first? I think the most important thing to, to realize is that we need to honor those people who voluntarily step up to the plate. I know Randy's on the podcast tonight, but I'm gonna circle back to him. When we talked in Las Vegas, he didn't talk about his book. He didn't talk about his five world championships he didn't ask me about my pro career I wasn't a fighter I was a bowler there's a big difference we talked about the importance of his child and his message to his child and that he is stepping up to the plate and we talked about my family and how the actions that I take step up to the plate we need to honor people who do that that doesn't mean we have to call out those who don't, but we have to continue positively role modeling the right way to do things and just really, really hope that through the work that we do, more people jump on board. Thank you for that. Who's next? Uh, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, I, just to kind of add on what, what, what Buddy said, you know, you know, bullying is a serious thing, and you know we just 
can't just keep letting it happen. There has to be something, right? So that's kind of where I come in with my expertise. And what I do is I try to get, give these kids something, give these adults something. So, yeah, obviously I live in Oklahoma. Um, if you live in a different state, you know, I recommend reaching out. Uh, don't don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Um, you can get into a martial arts program if you can't afford it. Uh, get with a nonprofit organization or somebody that can maybe sponsor you. You got internet. Get to a library. Get on YouTube. You know, there's 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 there's, there's plenty of ways that can we can promote some type of self defense that doesn't mean you have to Jackie Chan somebody. So I'll leave it at that. And Dana, please take us home. All right. So my takeaway is really if we can bring the four of us from different worlds together and find so much commonality across this topic, then we can do that with students and children and, frankly, adults who are being bullied. We can help find those threads of commonality, the common humanity, and ensure that we all work together to find the solution to this. I think this was a really great illustration of of how much how we share so much in common, um, despite any differences in our careers and our geography, et cetera. Listen, this was another impactful night of the impact education leadership. Good night. Impact of education. Facebook.